Welcome to Product Voices, a podcast where we share valuable insights and useful resources to help us all be great in product management. Visit the show's website to access the resources discussed on the show, find more information on our fabulous guests, or to submit your product management question to be answered on our special Q&A episodes. That's all at productvoices.com. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. Now, here's our host, J.J. Rory, CEO of Great Product Management. Hello, welcome to Product Voices. Today's topic is one that I've struggled with over the years. Does a product manager need to be technical or what level of technical expertise or acumen does a product manager need? I may come from a bit of a biased position here because I personally do not have a technical background. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a computer scientist by education or by experience. I've always approached the PM role from the quote unquote business side of things. And so while product managers should first and foremost be experts on the market and the customer problem, it's no secret that some level of understanding of the solution is very important. But what is that level? I personally believe that many organizations still require too heavy a focus on technical acumen for PMs. Um, Some of the best PMs I've worked with had no technical background, but again, in the spirit of leveraging the right knowledge in the right areas, I think there's a balance there. I think PMs need to have some level of technical acumen without necessarily needing to be trained engineers or computer scientists. But that's what we're going to explore on this episode. So I'm really excited about this conversation. My guest is Jan Lucas Hasselbeck, founder of Nate, Native Tech Education. In the past, Jan Lucas was head of consumer IoT at Vodafone and director of product development at Metro AG. Jan Lucas, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So let's start the conversation um, with a, a little bit of foundation. What is the difference, in your opinion, between skills and literacy? Yeah, well, uh, it was not me inventing these these terms, obviously. Um, we, we kind of, with Nate, we needed to differentiate here because we talk a lot of to deciders and uh, decision makers. And a skill in our definition is something that you get hired for. Yeah, you know, a data scientist, a developer is someone who has a skill, you know, who does something uh, skillfully. <laughs> By definition, that's a skill, and and you get you get hired for that. Literacy, on the other hand, side is something um, that I have to admit we stole it from from McKinsey. So McKinsey released a um, future skill report recently. I guess that was one and a half years ago. We can put it in the sh- in the show notes, and McKinsey defines future skills um, in. I guess it's 12 or 13 different areas and they define 56 skills. And a lot of the skills in the digital are in the digital side of things. And um, a lot of these digital skills are around literacy for computers, literacy for IT, literacy for uh, computational thinking. Yeah. So literacy is, is, um, can be transferred into he or she can take decisions, act on information. Um, you know, be a little bit more inf- more informed about what he or she is doing on a daily basis. So that's how we differentiate between the skill and literacy. This it's necessary because it's we you know we talk about upskilling so much, but upskilling is something where I say, well, you leave the training or you leave the event with something you can do better than before. And I say, well, that's not exactly what we should be aiming for. It's more literacy because it improves your decision making. It improves your 
ability to excel in your job. I think that's a really important distinction. And, and this, in my, in my mind, really um, solidifies you know, the difference, or maybe even that balance, I called it a balance. I don't know if that's the the correct term, but you know, the, the difference between having the skills, um, which may not be needed, um, at least to, to, you know, the, the furthest extent, but literacy, a PM having a, a literacy around certain areas is really important. So I think that's a amazing, um, amazing distinction there. And I think that that's going to help a lot of people kind of in their minds, think about this a little differently. Um, so, so I want to, I want to move on and and still kind of foundational question or, or setting the stage here before we even talk about what level of skills or literacy a product manager may need. Tell me your, your, your thinking around why a product manager needs some level of tech skills and literacy in the first place. Like why is that something that a product manager should probably have? Yeah, fair. Um, I think it's it's helpful or necessary for this interaction to um, detach yourself from, let's say, the perfect surroundings of a Silicon Valley tech company because they have the most amazing engineers. They have the most amazing CTOs and tech personas in there. So these personas actually make sure that the environment you are in just, you know, works. No, they make sure that processes, uh, cloud services, everything is aligned to work and to deliver basically your product in the end of the day. Well, that's not the same for a lot of people around the globe working in mid-sized, even large-sized companies, um, delivering maybe the first web app, the first ecosystem for a specific shop they are building for specific for any kind of company. And that's reality for a lot of people. They work on something, a digital product, a service, um, but the company they are in is not digital first. It's not been there. Uh, they've been around for ages, but not in the digital world, maybe. And for these people, for these project managers or product managers, um, more often than not, they work with maybe external companies, agencies, you know, delivery um, development agencies responsible for two, three, four developers, a small team, maybe a little bit of cloud instance. And well, who's responsible for quality in that ecosystem? Is it the product manager? Probably not. But also is it the agencies? Yeah, but only to a, different, to a certain extent. And it doesn't matter if you work with an external agency or small product team or small engineering team internally. Being cutting edge, being aware of, of of what quality means in software, is nothing. I would say I would say that is state of the art everywhere. Yeah. So when I say why is it necessary to have at least a, a specific level of tech knowledge, tech literacy, um, one reason for that is definitely being able to challenge the people you're working with, being able to deliver the best quality in software you can. You know, if you have an amazing engineer or lead engineer to to own that role, perfect. But more often than not, from experience, I can tell that that's not always the case. Yeah, I, I love that perspective. Um, and so, you know, I mentioned earlier um, that I am not an engineer or computer scientist, don't have that technical background. And I remember the first time that I worked on a you know, somewhat technical product, a data type product. And I felt very um, inadequate. <laughs> I felt, um, you know, quite um, undereducated, if you will, um, and realized that, you know, I didn't necessarily need the skills, the level of skills that my engineering partners had, 
but I did need to communicate with them well. Um, and so that, that stands out to me in my past about, you know, kind of the first time I realized that, you know, I may not need to be an engineer, but I need to have some sort of literacy to, to use that term. Um, I'm curious, you know, going through your career, um, was there a time when you realized that, hey, you know, you may not have the, the technical skills or, or again, felt undereducated? Multiple times, I think. Uh, I, I think we've all been there. The uh, question is what you do with it. Yeah? If you are very well connected, you usually have someone in your broader team or in your, your network who you can reach out to to get, let's say, a certain direction or answers to certain very pressing questions. But if it comes to the day-to-day -day things like, you know, what is technical depth? My team just told me we have technical depth. What do you do with that? You know, it's frightening if you hear it for the first time. Yeah, um, You know, build versus buy decisions. We had that with Vodafone. Uh, we were building first consumer IoT uh, platform back then. Um, well, how do you take those decisions? How do you evaluate if, if that service provider A performs better than service provider B? What do you challenge them on? Yeah. Um, I, I do remember when, when I went into the, the venture builder hospitality digital that, that Metro funded. Um, we've been, you know, scaling like hell, setting up more and more products, um, you know, going into cloud heavily, um, using a lot of engineers from different, um, from different external service providers. And I realized, well, you know, how do I manage that complexity as a, as a PO or PM? Um, do, do they really be, are, are they really completely honest with me? Um, and it, it, it came to the point where, where some, it was kind of an aha moment to me. I, I do remember that, that we changed one, one, one provider to, uh, for the other. And, and then I got asked, so, so what's the, the test coverage on your, on your product? I was like, well, I don't know, 100%, <laughs> which was obviously not. It was like around 25%, which is a disaster. Or it's a joke, yeah? yeah. Um, and, and test coverage by, by definition, there is no right or wrong. You know, it should definitely be above 80%, but, you know, there's no – 79 is not really worse than 81%, but 25 is definitely – Definitely wrong. So I realized, well, I'm not in the position to challenge these providers. I'm, I'm, I maybe should not be in the position, but if you don't have the right CTO or tech lead, you know, to step in for you, well, then it definitely helps to ask the right questions. Then it definitely, you know, helps to have an understanding for your, you know, your tech team saying, uh, yeah, Lucas, we have technical depth. Can we push for, you know, solving some of that the next couple of sprints? And not saying, well, you can't because we need to deliver feature after feature now. No, you know, have an understanding. Technical debt is going to kill you in 12 months time if you don't, you know, really make sure to cater for it sprint by sprint. So, you know, I realized that multiple times it was different, different situations, different issues I had. But I would say underneath it all, very clearly, I wasn't prepared for the jobs that I was in. Wow. Interesting. But you've succeeded and you've gotten through those times. So were there specific things that you did to bridge that gap? You did mention kind of, you know, finding some folks in your network. Um, but, you know, were there some things, were there some other things that you did to kind of bridge that gap of education or knowledge? Yeah. Important to understand when I was, you know, my late twenties, I, I realized something is odd. I'd, I'd like to get into digital, into software more, but I don't get it. What do you do? 
there's not much you can do. A best case, you have a maybe a um, you know bachelor's degree and in, in, in business, and and then you go into maybe computer science. This is what you know you do at Harvard. You have CS50. If you've never seen it, uh, look at it. Participate in it. It's amazing what they offer for free on YouTube, and the way that um, that they are delivering CS50 is is just just amazing. If you have time and capacity, definitely I would go for that. Um, back then, I didn't know of CS50, so I went into uh, computer science courses at my local university. Um, problem is that doesn't do the trick. Um, if you've ever been to computer science courses, you start early on with like, how does computer system work? How does the internet work? All of these things. It's good to know, but it doesn't solve your problem at hand. You know, how do I work with developers? It's more like religious, what they tell you at university, the absolute bits and pieces of how, how software, how the internet works. Um, so that was my first, let's say, contact point that, that I had. Um, I followed up with you know, stuff you can get your hands on on the internet. But then again, that's all catered to skills. That's all catered to developers, you know, building a skill on a certain framework or a certain uh, language they learn. It's not catered to the business person who'd like, just like to understand the environment of computer science better. Um, I tried executive education with the MIT later on. Um, I, I, you know, don't want to say that's the wrong, the wrong direction to take. But it clearly is more catered to visionary, more entertainment. Yeah, it doesn't. Again, it doesn't solve the question of how do I do my job any better. So I would say, in the world we are in, if you have a lot of time, you're very young. I would say going to computer science boot camps, you know, coding boot camps in your your local community or your city you are in. Um, there are amazing uh, offerings here, um, but that requires time. Uh, these boot camps usually take three months. It's full time or a lot of time at least. And but they will teach you how to use GitHub, what developers are doing uh, in their free time. Basically, the moment they don't talk to you and actually work, um, they explain to you what a framework is, um, you know, what it means to deploy something to production, what testing is. So these things, you know, if you have time, do that. But that's definitely not a solution for everyone. Um, I, I for myself can say, for me, the what helped me the most is getting or building close relationships to 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 tech leaders. So there's a couple of them in my network um, that, that I interact with on a regular basis. Um, I tend to get down to really problems that I've seen or, or complex and elements of my day-to-day -day that, that I'm discussing with them, that I try to understand, okay, what's the best solution for this that you know a tech team could build? Just conceptually, basically. And if you do this over time, you know, you become better with that. And after a while, you realize that, that problems are repeating themselves, that, that there is, you know, a, every system has been built in this world. You know, if you talk about e-com, systems are repeating this, this why, that's why companies like, like Shopify are so, um, so important and, and so successful. So, you know, problems are repeating. If you've understood the problem once or twice, it's pretty clear that these problems are repeating and coming back to you. And, and next time you'll be able to at least, uh, you know, direct your team to the next best solution, I would say. That's great advice. And I have to think that, you know, you, you founding Nate was probably, you know, a, a product of these gaps, right? Trying to fill these gaps. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, eventually when we, when I started off with Nate, um, It was exactly that. I, I, I felt undereducated still, even though I was running multiple teams and a couple of POs working in my team and, and, and different tech teams. Um, from the outside, people 
probably think, okay, yeah, Lucas really gets it. But, you know, I still felt, well, I'm not there yet. And there's a couple of things that I'd like to, you know, understand better. Um, so I said to my team, well, let's get a techie in. Let's get a tech lead in, someone who's 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 comes with a lot of empathy. I, I reached out to a couple of them and said, well, with my team, we'd like to understand these five topics any better. Yeah, testing, um, cloud services, a couple of these things where I said we can be better in. We did a lot of failures. We had technical debt. You know, we were not performing well, or I could see that there was the same problems for the, for different teams popping up. So I said, let's, let's sit down and let's get educated on how do you do that right from the beginning, from the get go kind of. Yeah. Um, and we got someone like that into a room, said everyone in the room, um, and was very hands on workshop. That was, I think, two years back and kind of the two to three years back, kind of the first time where I felt this is what it should be like. It's kind of a more masterclass approach, a techie, who is a master in something, sharing his wisdom, so to say, with an audience who's not tech and helps them the next time they stand in front of a problem, you know, to solve that problem more efficiently. Yeah. So it's this is very much, you know, what it comes down to when we say literacy, um, being able to solve a problem, being able to communicate uh, communicate clearly with a tech team. And, and this is exactly what, what that workshop enabled us as a team back then. And, and that can, was the foundation for Nate. Yeah? That's great. I love it. I can definitely see it uh, filling a need in the market. So I want to get specific here. Um, when you think about what areas of, of tech literacy a product manager needs, um, where are those areas? So we've got people out there listening who are now excited. They're thinking, okay, um, Jan Lucas is absolutely right. I've got to improve myself in certain areas. How do they get started? Like, what are some of the you know levels or, or areas um, where a product manager should focus? Where do they need to have knowledge in today's product management world? Yeah. It- it depends a little bit if you're taking over a product which is already super ma- mature. Um, I think then it's, then there are different topics are relevant than, you know, setting up a product from scratch. I would say in general, you should have an understanding of the tech stack your, your product is using. What's front end? What's back end stack? Um, have an understanding of the current state of the architecture where are maybe legacy pieces within that architecture that always will create issues and maybe these issues are not not transparent to you in a in a day-to-day um, delivery mode because they don't create bugs but they might create issues for the call centers because they get call-ins yeah so it's super relevant to understand the bigger picture here yeah so tech stack definitely architecture is something um, you should get an understanding of. Um, APIs your product is using um, because there's usually a lot of um, uh, room for improvement there. Uh, so what kind of partner APIs, third-party service you are you're using, that usually relates or translates into costs a lot. Yeah? It's usually a business case question. Uh, can you improve the current setting? Um, and then on the other hand side, also the way you are delivering. So what's your delivery model? Are you working in a DevOps setup? What does that mean? What kind of roles you currently have in your team? Is that already a perfect setup? Um, there's usually room for improvement in that as well. Um, on top of that, the team usually uses a certain testing framework. So software testing is something you should have a base understanding of. And um, I would say last but not least, cloud, cloud services um, is something no one can neglect today because time over time I've seen teams building features um, 
authentication is a good example. Um, you know, PubSub service. There's a lot of services a cloud provider offers out of the box that you can easily implement and use within, you know, just a couple of days maybe and don't build yourself. So this is buy versus build decision. Um, so cloud services definitely make sure. And then something, um, which is not really a tech related element, but helps a lot. Uh, when setting up a product for success is yeah, non-functional requirements. Yeah. So scalability, availability, these kind of things are more often than not, I've seen teams defining that on the tech side, but you know, something like availability should be done from the customer's perspective. Yeah. So PM should have a clear ambition towards what does that mean to have a product available 24 seven? It usually means. A lot of costs. <laughs> Being online all the day, uh, all time is a lot of, uh, you know, in definitely includes a lot of costs, a lot of effort by the team. But does, is that really necessary? If you're building an application for a local newspaper, it might be completely acceptable to be offline every Monday morning at two o'clock. Yeah, for an hour to do a deployment no, definitely might not lead to, to users leaving you because, you know, your users are, you know, not up at one o'clock in the morning. That's just an, Just an example, yeah? So it's a mixture of requirements, tech understanding, um, and it's 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 usually means setting things up for success where PMs more often than not do not have a clear ambition towards. I love how you've tied that back to the customer and how it impacts the customer and, you know, the problems that, that a customer can have from various uh, technical issues or technical decisions. Um, cause I think for product managers who don't have a technical background, they tend to get intimidated by, um, the, the, uh, the fact that they don't have this knowledge. But if we tie it back and we understand that we're learning it, um, from, the perspective of how it can help our customers, because that's our job, right, is to solve customer problems and make their experiences as uh, great as possible. So I think that's a really important way to to identify that. So there are certain elements that you're responsible for, and we'll get to that in a second, I'm pretty sure. But, you know, um, customer is one. Um, it's understanding of your customer. Make sure that your customer receives the highest value from your from your product. Yeah. How do you get to that? Is you know building better features, uh, building features faster. Uh, that's that's one thing for sure. Um, but you know you can translate that into finding better solutions as well. Um, I give you one ex simple example, and 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 that example taps into multiple perspectives: the developer's perspective, the cost perspective, and the customer perspective. Um, take the example of Twilio. Twilio, everyone knows it, amazing company for, for communication services. Back in the days, very early on, Twilio just replaced your mess, your, your SMS server you integrated with. Simple setting up a confirmation SMS to not miss, you know, let's say your doctor's appointment. Well, today Twilio does more than that. They offer automation services. So as a PO, Yeah, I, my idea is maybe to interact with a customer for his doctor's appointment more actively. You know, let's say the user should be able to, to cancel the appointment with an SMS, uh, to reschedule the appointment, things like that. Back in the day, um, you could basically now set up an Epic saying, you know, customer interaction on SMS. That Epic would take maybe a month to evaluate, um, you know, creating multiple stories out of that and then implement it in the backend. Well, if you are an informed PM, You go into Twilio, you log in, you create a test account, and you start playing around with their with their API. 
You realize after a while, well, Twilio just launched a service called Twilio Studio, and I'm not a Twilio <laughs> employee. I don't receive any 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 kickbacks from Twilio, but it's just an amazing service. Yeah, Twilio just recently launched a product called Twilio Studio, which is a, a graphical interface. It's a canvas to build communicational um, a process or uh, not process uh, commu communicational interaction. So you basically everything that I just explained step by step can be built in Twilio. Yeah, first first trigger is coming from the backend. Then it's a confirmation SMS. Customer can answer to that SMS. He can pick it up again, saying, "I want to schedule or reschedule. Or I want to cancel." And that two years back, you would have need to build that in the backend. Now you can build that all in Twilio Studio and just connect the one endpoint to your backend, saying that's the trigger to start that communication flow. Everything else works in Twilio. Now, what did you just do? You saved development time, which is equals cost. You saved your your lead developer time to look into the documentation, come up with that solution himself or herself, sorry. Um, and you just built an amazing um, in SMS interaction for your customer, which makes the rescheduling with the doctor way easier. No need to call in, just, you know, send a simple one or two, whatever the, the logic is to, to the Twilio backend and set things up for success. So you just solved a massive, let's say, problem or just solve that epic all by yourself with simply some exploration of an API and some trial and error on the on the Twilio Studio um, canvas. So when I say technical literacy, it all comes down to, you know, setting up for success, but also ongoingly being able to make sure that you get the highest level of quality for delivery, for customer um satisfaction but also for your team satisfaction because that's just another epic they didn't need to implement i love that example such a good one in in terms of again how it how it impacts the business how it impacts the customer i love that that's great um i think you should get a kickback from that that was <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you, you the next time yeah. we, we talk or, or speak to them definitely but it's you see you see it's so it seems so um so shallow the first time you think and talk about tech literacy or what's the ambition of a PM in that regard. And then you, you start looking into that. And, and I'm not saying you need to understand every API that's out there, but Twilio and uh, there are others that you work in your product with on a daily basis. I'm pretty sure everyone does. These APIs become more powerful on a, on a, on a yearly basis. And the more, the deeper your understanding of their capabilities are, you know, the more straightforward you can basically say, okay, I'm, my epic doesn't is not called SMS interaction. My epic is a super simple one because I already halfway understood what we need to build. Yeah, saves time to everyone, and I think that's pretty much really nailing what tech literacy is all about. Yeah, absolutely. So how do we how do we break it down? How how do we break down technical literacy for product managers and really kind of um, you know attempt to to Uh, tackle this this issue, if you will. Yeah, I, I think the Twilio example just already made a good case, but but let me maybe bridge the gap or the cognitive gap here for for everyone who's listening, because um, I was asking myself the very same questions. What's the like when I started into product? I kind of you know asked myself what are the determining skills or abilities that I should have, because still companies don't know what they're looking for when they're scouting for PMs. If you look in different profiles that are out there for 
senior POs or head of product or whatever, the expectation level of different companies is super different. Yeah. So, you know, as a, as a employee or someone who's, who's, who's trying to get the next, uh, to the next level in the next job, it's super unclear what you should be building yourself out for. Yeah. Or uh, what you should be pre preparing yourself for. Um, so what helped me a lot is uh, something that um, I learned in Reforge. So Ravi Menta, a former CPO of Tinder, and I think um, senior, senior manager at, at, at TripAdvisor, he, invented something called the, the uh, product manager competency matrix. It has four major dimensions and 12 second level dimensions or, or, or categories to, to, to look out for as a product manager. And, and one of the four major dimensions is, is product quality. Yeah. And product quality, again, can be broken down into, uh, into, um, uh, product execution. Uh, it's more like product execution and product execution can be broken down into quality assurance, product delivery and feature specification. Now, if you, I'm pretty sure if you ask 10, 10 PMs today, the only thing that they could, would come up with is, um, is, is feature specification. Yeah. Because that's their day to day job, but product delivery and quality assurance are equally relevant and, and that can kind of be converted into oh, tech literacy helps a lot in to improve on product delivery and quality assurance you can leave that to your engineering team you can leave that with your developers pretty sure you can but you know i i think i gave good arguments of why not to because as a product owner you have to own the customer the strategy the people management but also the product execution and product execution does not just mean features yeah and i think everyone is, is pretty clear that you know delivering features gets less and less relevant after a certain while um, because the product might be more or less where it should be um but then execution means more than that it definitely means you know your product gets delivered fast uh with no errors and uh in a good quality because that again is experienced by your customers and uh, you know increases your, their satisfaction again so if if we break down um if we break down what it means to become a, a good pm that matrix will help you a lot um and will also help you a lot in understanding your responsibilities uh, along these lines and um it helped me at least to focus on certain upskilling programs that that i wanted to do and um yeah tech was technology was one of those That's great. And we will link to um, that competency matrix that, that you mentioned, as well as some other great resources that you've provided. So those will be in the show notes and also on productvoices.com. Uh, Jan-Lucas Hasselbeck, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been very enlightening and I certainly have connected some dots in my own mind. And I think that's uh, one of the wonderful things about these conversations is, is learning something new and connecting some dots along the way. And I think the the audience has, has gained a lot of insights from you. So thank you so much for joining us on Product Voices. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us on Product Voices. Hope to see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Product Voices, hosted by J.J. Rory. To find more information on our guests, resources discussed during the episode, or to submit a question for our Q&A episodes, visit the show's website, productvoices.com, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. 